for joining us on Legends of Tabletop today. I know they thank you. Yeah. Um, would you care to introduce yourself to any of our listeners that may be unfamiliar with your work? Absolutely. My name is John Baltusberger. I am a award-winning author, poet, uh, and I've done some video game journalism uh, and some tabletop role-playing game reviews. Uh, I also am a tabletop role-playing game designer uh, and creator, as well as the publishing editor over at Madness Heart Press. You are very prolific. I had no idea. Uh, what got you started on this path? What got you started in writing in general? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, because I, I wanted to write a bit in college. I wanted to write fantasy when I was in college. And, um, and then I kind of gave up that idea and I was doing acting. Uh, and then later in life, geez, I was already in my thirties and I decided to, to give writing a chance again. And, uh, it appears to be a thing I'm, I'm decent at that people seem to enjoy what I do. So, uh, yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, what sparked your interest in Bizarro and the strange? Right. So, uh, so it's, it's really funny. I, I started off thinking I was going to write fantasy, like straight up, uh, Pierce Anthony, uh, Tolkien fantasy. Uh, and then I started writing little short stories that were creepy and people really enjoyed my creepiness. So I was like, Oh, I guess maybe I'm actually a horror author. Uh, and from there, I went to a, an event called KillerCon, which is in Austin. Uh, it's taking place next month. If uh, I don't know when this goes live or if it's live now, but um, KillerCon Austin, if you are in Central Texas and you are interested in writing dark fiction, KillerCon is an incredible, incredible event. Um, it's a conference of writers who write extreme splatterpunk and bizarro. And uh, you can go to KillerConAustin.com if you're interested to find out more. But I didn't know that those were genres because I had been kind of uh, living in mainstream uh, fiction uh, for so long. Uh, and these three genres are really thick in, um, in indie publishing. And so I discovered all three of these genres at once and I've, I've dabbled in all of them. Um, but I, I really have a special place in my heart. Oh, beans. I have a special place in my heart for, um, surreal and absurdist, uh, literature, um, uh, for a very long time. And, uh, finding Bizarro as a literary genre really kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities, what we could do. Yeah. Uh, and what I, as an author, could do. That's awesome. Um, oh man, that that almost reflects my own. Like I, I didn't start writing again until I was in my late thirties. Um, but uh, Madness Heart Press, t- tell us more about Madness Heart. Um, 
Thank you so much for your generosity with your arcs regarding yes. them. Um, so I, I greatly appreciate them in the capability to uh, read them. Uh, yeah, so it, it's funny because, um, well, so arcs, I mean, the best way for indie authors to to grow and to get readers is reviewers. Um, so it is it is we are grateful to you as a reviewer. Uh, so Madness Art Press, um, my wife bought a book at a used bookstore. It was the Creepy Pasta Anthology Number Two, and she left it in the restroom. And one day, I I walked into the I went to the used restroom, I picked it up, I flipped through it, and the cover sucked, the binding sucked, the layout sucked, the stories were lame. And I came out of the bathroom, pants around my ankles, and said, we could do this better. And Desiree was like, that's my wife, Desiree, looked at me and she said, I think that's insane, but I support you in whatever we do. And uh, so she and I started Madness Heart Press that year and uh started we published our first anthology in february of 2019 uh and as of today we've published over 100 books by roughly 35 ish authors that's impressive now the quality of the uh, illustrations i've noticed with your covers and the artwork is just just awesome um so uh jim agpalza i believe mm -hmm. you've worked with him a little bit yeah jim uh -huh. did the covers of um extinction peak and blade job both by lucas mangum he did the cover of gush by gina rinali and um the last five minutes of the human race by him and uh, michael allen rose jim's an incredible author who is very well known and very well regarded in the bizarro uh, uh, community. Let, when we first to... started, I was getting covers from Fiverr. Um, I was making covers from photo manipulation off uh, uh, royalty-free picture sites, and I, I did some like I did some covers that I'm still legitimately proud of, but um, as we moved into our I guess our third year. Um, I decided to make a move to working with artists. Uh, specifically, I work with Luke Spooner, um, Simone Tometa, and Don Noble, as well as Jim. Those are the four artists I go to every time. Uh, sometimes we go to different artists. Sometimes a author comes to me and says they really want this artist to do it, uh, which is so long as it's in our budget, that's fine. But Luke don and simone do such phenomenal uh work uh and i have really good relationships with all three and uh you know i understand their process they understand mine and we work together really well to get the authors uh what they want is secondary what will sell their book and be a good cover is first yeah. <laughs> sometimes sometimes the two do not mesh but usually usually it does <laughs> That, that's very cool. Now, uh, going to another work here, um, all, all I want to do is take shrooms and listen to the color of Nazi screams. Yes, <laughs> that, that is cover. my newest book coming out. Oh, that cover. 
It's it, you know, so um the cover so uh I I I abbreviate the title as Shrooms and Screams mm-hmm. uh because it is a mouthful. Um but originally all I wanted to do is take shrooms and listen to the color of Nazi screams. I told the publisher, which is the Zaro Planet Press, uh, I said I want something that is reminiscent of 70s, 80s doom metal uh kind of the like dark colors that are very uh uh psychedelic um that kind of brings into mind like frazetta and fantasy posters and like woman in a in a leather bikini being attacked by a dragon while you know a wizard like fights a dragon i wanted it very psychedelic but very doom because that's the kind of music I love and I love that art. And that's what he told the artist. And then the artist sent back this, this picture that is extremely sixties psychedelia. Uh, And I looked at it and I was like, that's not what I wanted at all, but that's fantastic. And um, I think honestly, it's a better cover than the one I requested because um, the cover I was th- picturing and requesting was a horror cover. And Shrooms and Screams is very much a bizarro book. Like, there are horror elements because it's me, but it's very much a bizarro book. Yeah. Um, and I so we had to tweak the cover a little bit. Uh, I added the beard and uh, uh, changed a few things, but I'm very happy with that cover. I think it's... I think it's really going to get people's attention. It, it is definitely very attention grabbing for sure. Um, and Ibiranu, that actually was uh, my first encounter with uh, with something as splatter punky as that. <sighs> yeah, and it, it was just a breath of fresh air to me. <laughs> So it's interesting, right? Because there's this debate in the niche horror world about what is splatterpunk and what is extreme horror. Um, My definition is based on the older definition. Some people disagree with it. That's fine. Um, Genre is is and should be permeable and um, uh, able to change. My definition of splatterpunk is counterculture literature that speaks against um unjust systems uh splatterpunk tends to push boundaries and taboos specifically gore and violence um whereas extreme horror in my definition again my personal definition uh is about pushing taboos and descriptions as far as you can um in the service of telling a transgressive story it doesn't have to doesn't have to push against uh the bounds of like society if you don't want it to uh but it it's about pushing the bounds of what people can handle reading uh some authors are incredible at working those horrifying things into a story uh aaron beauregard for instance is a master of it uh and there are as in any genre there's a lot of people who who kind of lose sight of telling a story in service of how extreme they can go 
And just like in Splatterpunk, there's people who lose sight of fighting against power and are just kind of get sucked into how violent can I make this? Mm. Um, but I love the Ibirano book. I adore that book. Yeah. Um, it was a very fun read. It was very entertaining. I I liked the, uh, I, I wouldn't say disregard, but the sort of questionable genderless entity that comes into play. That's wonderful uh, because that was at a point where that that was kind of important to me to see because a family member of mine, uh, I it, it was great to see something where their attitudes were definitely represented. And I was kind of thankful to see that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, I think that generally speaking, androgyny is uh, deemed attractive and sexy in um, homoerotic literature. And it's almost always men who are androgynous and therefore beautiful uh, in literature that I notice a lot of the times. And um, I think androgyny and ill-defined uh boundaries are in and of themselves kind of sensual and uh it was i really wanted to to have that character as a um as a powerful and interesting character um where it's like because it's also like that character i never say if it's a male or female uh even during the sex scene I don't describe genitalia mm-hmm. uh, because I wanted to very strongly enforce that it doesn't matter. Their sexuality is not tied to gender. Uh, and that, that was important for that character. And that was very tastefully done, by the way. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, if, if you'll remember, when I when I very first came to you, I'd had uh, someone come to me asking to review something that they had written. And in it, there was a very uh, questionable, like, is this a rape fantasy thing? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's why I was kind of like, uh, they had an extensive trigger warning and all of that, but it, yeah. it wasn't handled with care. And yes, uh, you do, you do have some transgressive things, but they are handled with care and, uh, and presented in such a way as to not be offensive. And, and some of those things you have to dance around carefully and you do a really good job of that. Thank you. For me, one of the one of the things I, I talk about a lot in the subtext of my books is power dynamics. And um, there's a really bad power dynamic in Ibiranu between Ibiranu and um, the the uh, <laughs> them um, and yeah. power dynamics. Um, are often I often use them to to kind of point a finger and say this person the person who has the power is almost always corrupt and evil in some way. Um, and Nibirano is no different. Like at the mm-hmm. outset, he is a he is a he is royalty at the very beginning of the book. Yeah. Uh, so he never has 
uh, he doesn't have humility, even in the face of gods. Yeah. Um, and that's something I, I try to explore a lot is is power dynamics and um, and kind of the misogyny that exist in um, privilege. I mean, and even even so, if he has all everything that he knows taken away, and even in that position, <laughs> that that arrogance still kind of kind of remains there. But uh, oh gosh, let's see what what else did I list here? Um, oh, your interest in tabletop RPGs. How did that interest manifest? I mean, it manifested the same way in me. It manifests in most people. Uh, I was 13 or 12, and one of my friend's moms introduced us to D&D. Uh, and I started playing, and uh, I loved it. And uh, about 12 or 13 years ago, I discovered Kickstarter. Oh. Um, and I saw people putting out games through Kickstarter, and I was like, oh, man maybe i could make a game and and put it out this way um and then i didn't uh for 11 years <laughs> um but now i do um but i love man tabletop role-playing games are some of my favorite things to do um obviously making games is a lot of fun the community has been really great to me personally so um but it's also harder uh i can write a book in a couple months and put it out and like it's fine for a role-playing game book i need to design the systems write the lore i need it to get play tested to make sure it actually works mm -hmm. then i need to get edited then i need to get art then i need to get the layout and then i need to get it distributed um and it's just there's a lot of pieces to that um but I make more money as a game designer than I do as an author. So it, it is worth it. Definitely. Um, now, when you go through the playtesting part, the playtesting phase of game making, now, do you have a uh, friendly local game store that has like a game testing session? Or I, I have a couple of local friendly game stores. I haven't... I started designing games after the pandemic, so oh. um, I don't, I don't, I used to have a playtesting group um, that I met with once a week. That was long before any of this. We've all gone our separate, well, we kind of went our separate ways, but um, I have, I prefer blind uh, playtesting. So what I'll do is I have some friends who live in other places and I'll send them the rules oh. and I'll say, try this, play test this, let me know what you don't understand. Because if I'm there in the playtesting room, right, I can explain what the rule means. Oh. I can tell them how to how it's played. I can tell them what the vision is. But if I just hand it to someone um, and say, here you go, here's the basic concept, um, I'm getting as real to what someone who just finds out of the store uh, or buys it offline will experience and um i that means that uh if it's good for my blind testers it'll be good for everyone if it's only good when i'm running it then i haven't done a good job making the game accessible to other people so 
uh, I really prefer that blind play, uh, play testing. Well, that that is definitely a, a wonderful rule to have in place. Um, now, Mr. Henshaw, how how did you two cross paths? Um, you talking about Matt Henshaw? Yes, Matt Henshaw. Matt Henshaw. Oh, this is funny. Actually, this is a good story. Uh, Matt Henshaw was uh, in a horror writing group um, with me and I saw him uh, make a post that said I would love to see a book an anthology of like call fake college classes that are all horror themed and I said I have thought of that idea before it's a good idea if you edit it I'll publish it and so we got started and we created the Nafalan University course catalog uh, available on Amazon. Uh, I think it's a delightful thing. Both Matt and I put a lot of time into writing for that. So I did most of the like religious studies department. Mm-hmm. Uh, he filled in the blanks all throughout. Uh, and then we had, I want to say, like 20 or 30 different uh, authors supply courses. Um it's a very cool book. I love that. Uh, that one came out at the same time as the Madness Heart Press employee handbook. Oh, and they're both satirical. Um, they're both satirical um, nonfiction books. Okay. Now, I, I did approach him to make an unannounced appearance today with me. Unfortunately, he he did he was not able to uh cross that time off of his <sighs> schedule. But I thought that would kind of be a pretty cool little surprise. Yeah, I love I love I love Matt. Uh he is one of the most generous and kind people in the industry. Um a delight to work with. And uh he has done uh he does kind of ambient doom mm-hmm. uh soundscapes and he has donated several to my Kickstarter projects. Wow. Uh, so there's a soundtrack for Morka Beans, which is my Jewish Morkborg um, uh, supplement. And he did a soundtrack for the audiobook uh, of uh, Whispers of the Dead Saint, which is the first Morkborg novel uh, that I got to write. That's awesome. Now, I do have that sitting in my TBR pile. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, the whispers of a dead saint that that's what i was that's what i was going to go around to was uh in, in that um now is is mork is mork bork yorkton or is no no gosh I, boy, I would be very I, wealthy if mork bork was mine i have seen it in the wild at my local game store and i i photographed the area of the shelf that it was on and posted that on my Facebook. Um, but I really didn't get a chance to look at it in depth at all. And that's kind of why I drew a blank is like, oh crud, I was gonna Morkborg is really Morkborg is part of the OSR movement that is currently kind of experiencing this beautiful renaissance in the gaming space. Mm-hmm. Um and OSR means old school revival. It centers around fairly simple rules, lightweight rules, uh, and tends to be kind of brutal. Like if you look at Dungeons and Dragons 1.0, like mm-hmm. the original Dungeons and Dragons, um, yeah. and then you kind of put that those rules on like 
an old school Nintendo NES game, that level of difficulty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's like the character creation rules are always very, very easy. <laughs> so that, um, because you're going to have to create dudes a lot. Yeah. Um, Morkborg is a grim, dark fantasy game set in a world that's dying. Uh, okay. that's actively in the throes of the apocalypse. Okay. Um, and it is oh. not mine. It was written by Pella Nilsson and illustrated by Johan Noor. Um, they're both great. Uh, it's an art punk book. And I will say that if you are not fluent in TTRPG kind of linguistics and concepts, you're not going to understand it. It's not user friendly. On the other hand, if you are fluent in RPG linguistics, I use Morkborg to teach people how to play role-playing games. It's so easy, and the rules are so simple that just it's very easy to do. And with the characters dying, people kind of kind of get that concept of oh, I can try something interesting. I don't have to min-max. I don't. I can just do what makes me happy. Uh, so I love the game. I love designing for the game. It's very easy to design for. Mm-hmm. So I've done. I've been. I've gotten several paying jobs for doing those. Very cool. Um, someone once said, you've got to get used to doing things you don't want to do when writing. How has that worked in your favor? Uh, waking up early is a thing I really don't want to do, but uh, it helps me write. Got to get used to things you don't want to do to be a writer. Um, I don't know about that. Um there's people who say you can only write about things you know, and there's the people who say you should only write what you've experienced. And as someone who writes splatterpunk and like like ultra violence, uh, no, I'm like I've never I have never eviscerated anyone, <laughs> um, and I'm not gonna is my plan. So I don't I don't necessarily agree with with you have to do things you don't like. I do think the truth is, and this is, I think, maybe even a more harsh truth. If you want to be a writer, you have to treat it like a real job. You have to. uh, Max Booth once said someone asked him, how do you deal with writer's block? And he said, writer's block is bullshit. If you don't want to do the job, get a different job. Um. There are times I don't feel like writing. There's right now. There's a new Diablo Four game. I'd really be like, I'd really love to be playing that. But do I want to have a new book next year, or do I want to play Diablo right now? Is something I say to myself a lot. Do I do I want to play this game? Do I want to like watch the show, or do I want to have this book out next year and? maybe grow my brand a little grow my name grow uh grow what people are familiar with leading into titles razor blade and the fun size candy tell me about that uh so (laughs) i made a decision last year that i wasn't going to submit to any anthology that i was not specifically invited to um i I like to think that I'm a good enough author and a well-known enough author that I, that, you know, people will occasionally seek me out. Um, sometimes they do, mostly they don't. Um, Paul Lubachewski, who is an author who I've worked with 
a couple of times and who works with uh, uh, Roost, uh, St. Rooster Press uh, pitched an anthology to Tim Murr over at St. Rooster of an anthology of horror comedy because that's what he writes. And he was like, I'll get these other horror comedy writers to, to come in and be a part of it. And he asked me, uh, I am not a comedy writer. Um, you have read some of my books, you know, like there might be funny moments, but it's, I'm certainly not a ha ha minute kind of writer. <laughs> um, and so I said, okay. Um, but it was like pulling teeth to write the story. Um, I wrote a story called the assassination of Mr. John Baltusberger. <laughs> uh, the title is a play on a classic book work of literature called the death of mr baltusberger um but uh my story is about the other authors on the table of contents trying to kill me oh god so everyone in the story is actually everyone who is in the story is actually also on the table of contents nice for that anthology (laughs) Now, the Jewish Book of Horror. Jewish Book of Horror by uh, the Denver Horror Collective. Um, Mm -hmm. So in 2019, I put out an anthology called Of the Book, which was Jewish folk horror. Uh, And then Josh Schlossberg, who works with Denver Horror Collective, uh, reached out to me and asked if I would help put together another anthology called the Jewish Book of Horror. Uh, obviously I wrote a story for that called the eighth night. Uh, I originally wrote that story for a hallmark, uh, horror for the holidays anthology that Gabino Iglesias was going to put together, but mine was too dark. Um, and yeah, it is. Um, and so I submitted it to the Jewish book of horror. It came, it got in, um, Josh Slosberg calls me the, uh, Moses of horror. Or Moses of Jewish Horror. So uh, it's a good collection. Um, People are really torn on my story um, because my story is absolutely splatterpunk. It's very violent and very gory. And uh, I mentioned power dynamics and misogyny are often a lot of my villains have those traits um, because I like those are things that are evil to me. And so a lot of people like the 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 evil thing in that is misogynistic and uh, controlling and gaslighting. Mm-hmm. And there are people who assume that because my villain is that way, I must be that way. Oh, no. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who hate that story. Um, one of the reviews said the only misstep was Eighth Night by John Baldisford. I honestly hate this story. Oh. But other people love it. It's just, you know, okay. I think it's a great I think it is a great collection of stories and I am proud of my part in it. Very, very cool. And this title that, that would just be so, so awesome. Um, Antifa Splatterpunk. So um, if you've seen the cover, uh, one fun thing about the cover, which is a, a policeman with a pig head standing in front of someone holding a Molotov cocktail uh, I have that original painting on my wall. I bought it from Lynn Hansen, the artist, at a at an event, 
and it, it hangs on my wall. Um, Eric Raglan uh, is the editor for that story. Um, he started, I met him through this. Uh, he started posting about it and I immediately said, Hey, I write anti-Nazi Jew horror. Like, let me get in on this. Uh, I wrote a story called Box of Teeth uh, that I like a lot. I enjoyed that. Um, unlike the Jewish Book of Horror, uh, Box of Teeth gets consistently good reviews. Like, most people really like that. Um, it was it was interesting. It was a cool project to be a part of. And um, I'm hoping we do, like, a part two because it was really good. I thought – I think it's a fantastic collection. Definitely. Now, this one, this one is uh, actually close to my heart, and I do need to also add this title to my TBR pile. Um, Devour the Earth, a Kaiju Anthology. Oh, man, Devour the Earth. Um, so we had just published Lucas Mangum's Extinction Peak, which is about dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. I love Kaiju, and I put together this little this little anthology the two stories ended up getting cut because the author never like signed the contract to give me permission which was a bummer because they were really good uh susan snyder wrote next in line for that anthology and it was nominated for a splatterpunk award um i have some kaiju poetry in that anthology but um it's a really good book on (laughs) On the release day, I decided to do a 24-hour stream uh, where I would talk about monsters, play monster-themed video games, and that sort of thing. And uh, it was miserable. Oh, no. Uh, But I want to say right around, right around like 3 a.m., like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., Jay Wilburn... Uh, joined me on that call because uh, I was streaming. So he came on the stream and just talked to me for three hours straight because he knew I was going to be bored and it was going to be awful. And um, Jay Wilburn um, passed away last year. Incredible author and amazing friend. So um, despite like the horror, like despite the roughness of doing a 24 hour stream, like, I have this really amazing memory of doing it with Jay. So it's a net positive. Now, um, what you do now, I must admit that that seems like a really fucking good time. But (laughs) what job, if you were offered it, would make you immediately drop everything you're doing to say yes to? I mean, I'm doing what I want to do. Um, I mean, here's the the thing, the thing I want, right, is I want, I want this strike, I want the studios to agree to the demands of WAG and SAG-AFTRA, WGA, not WAG, Um, and then after, after they have agreed, I would like one of the studios to option one of my books or series for a show, Uh, because that's how you make, that's how you make a living as a writer. that or or a game company offering me a a solid gig um you know anything anything that where i could just make writing my my whole existence my whole day job would be uh would be incredible but there's nothing like there's no there's no non-writing job that i would drop anything for 
I have a very, I'm very happy with my life. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to shift gears. Um, yeah, well, uh, because after after I finish this interview, I'm going to finish working on a remix. Um, but music question. What's the first music album you ever bought with your own money? I don't want to answer that. Um, I think the first album I bought with my own money was was the Mortal Kombat Annihilation CD. Um, <laughs> I think I think that might have been the first one. Um, and the re I bought it because I remember liking the soundtrack and it had um, I was a big video game nerd even back then. It had KMFDM's Megalomaniac mm-hmm. and uh, Rammstein's Ingel and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but that like started me down on metal and industrial metal specifically. Um, and I got really into that for a while. Like I, I buy a lot of music on vinyl now. Yeah. Um, and it all comes back down to buying the Mortal Kombat Annihilation <laughs> CD and, a, and like a Sam Goody back okay. in the back in the late nineties. Oh man. Oh, God, this just just goes to show how old I am. I I remember uh, getting Black Sabbath Volume Four, at, like one of those little like consignment shots for fifty cents. Yes. Uh, oh, what album can you listen all the way through without skipping a single track? There's a lot of them. Um. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give you two answers. Uh, first, I will tell you, uh, M- uh, Bell Witch's Mirror Reaper. Uh, that is a funeral doom, uh, album. It is also one 90 minute song. Okay. So you can't skip. It's just, it's just the one. Um, there's also. <sighs> I, I I'm saying two metal songs, but like I want to, I love pop. I love salsa. I love Cajun me. Like I love all kinds of music. I listen to a huge variety. Um, but I also would say Shemha Meforesh, um, which is this like black metal uh, band, and it's just really fun to listen to. So. Yeah, those are. I'm gonna stick with metal this time. Um, okay. A lot of the a lot of the non-metal stuff I listen to tends to be like singles that I just have on a playlist somewhere. So yeah. Um. Oh gosh. Let's go meta. What question do you want me to ask you that I have not yet? Uh, I would like to talk more about all I want. Uh, I have two books coming out next month. I want to talk about those. Um, yes. So we mentioned all I want is to take shrooms and listen to the color of Nazi screams that comes out on August 14th. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an autobiographic fiction, a somewhat fictionalized autobiography of me interspersed with poetry that I've written over the last 30 years. Oh, well, wow. and short stories I've written over the last 30 years. But it's it is primarily about 
the search for meaning and divinity through the use of psychedelic drugs mm-hmm. uh, told through the lens of someone who fights back against monsters, the monsters of my life. Um, it was really difficult to write parts of it, um, but it was also a lot of fun. Um, and it, it has kind of my favorite style of writing, which is, wait, what part of what parts of this is real? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I I am an unreliable narrator in this case. Yeah, um, I, I remember using that term a couple of times in the review that I had written. Um, it's like, wait, which, how, it, uh, wait. <laughs> yeah, and so um, I know what's real. Well, mm-hmm. I mostly know what's real and what's not real. <laughs> uh, I mostly know what happened and what didn't happen. But I'm not going to tell uh, because in the long run, it doesn't matter. Um the emotions, the emotional energy, and the kind of psychic resonance of my history is is trapped in those pages, and fact and fiction kind of blurs in in the past. Um, I'm really excited about that book. Um, I think it is, I think it is transgressive in a way that I hadn't worked in before, mm-hmm. um, and it's definitely more naked than I've ever been on the page before. I have another book coming out uh, probably next month, although it may be September, um, called No Guilt of Bloodshed. It is a Western being published by Deathhead Press mm-hmm. uh, about a Ukrainian Jew chasing a uh, fallen Greek Orthodox priest through the American West uh, to get revenge for the pogroms in the Ukraine. Uh, there is a succubus. There is uh, a lot of violence, um, like a surreal amount of violence, really. Uh, and uh, a cover by Justin Coons, which like that's why I wrote the book is to get one of those amazing covers. Yeah, I pre- I think I saw the cover on just in a brief scroll so session good. through Facebook. But oh, oh it's it so is good. Beautiful. It's really beautiful. Uh, I wrote that like three years ago, uh, and wow. it's just now seeing the light of day. So I'm very excited about that coming out. And then, oh my goodness. Uh, and then, you know, I'm just going to keep working on on other things. I have some exciting stuff coming uh, over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, can you share anything else with us right now? Sure. Uh, first, uh, D&T Publishing has accepted my book, Unclean Verses. Unclean Verses is an extreme horror mm-hmm. uh, take on Dante's Inferno. Um, it's a lot, but it's in- written entirely in verse. It'll be my third po- or it'll be my fourth poetry book. Um and it's it's a lot. It is. I considered using a pen name, um, but in the long run, I did not. Um, I am currently working on the third abhorrent siren book. Um, abhorrent mm-hmm. siren is my kaiju trilogy. It turns out, um, nice. and I am in talks with uh, the 
St. Rooster, who published the first two of our books, will publish the third paperback. But I am also in talks with a uh, hardback publisher uh, to do a collection of all three books in one volume. And uh, a Spanish publisher, uh, the Menciones Ocultes out of Spain, signed a contract to do Abhorrent Siren in Spanish, but has since asked if he could do one one volume of the entire Abhorrent um, series in Spanish. So I'm really excited about that. It'll be my first international uh, translation and uh, that really big deal for me. That is very, very cool. Now, as we go into the top of the hour, uh, let's see. I'm going to go ahead and bust into the final five just really quickly. Hit me. Video game or tabletop? Um, if I had to choose between the two, I will choose tabletop. Okay. Any specific reason for that? Um, when I'm alone, I can read core rule books and monster manuals and entertain myself that way. And I'm an extreme extrovert. So I'd rather be around people than not. Got it. Got it. Solid answer. Star Wars, Star Trek, or for those that like neither of the previous selections, Dude. Um, okay. So <laughs> I like psychedelics. So you expect me to go towards Dune. I like fantasy and magic powers. So you would expect me to go with Star Wars. However, I really like utopian societies where racism and bigotry are a thing of the past. So Star Trek gotta win. But, and, you know, we, you, they say you never forget your first doctor. Mm-hmm. You never forget your first captain. And for me, it's Picard. Oh, man. If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Um, I would like, I, if I had one superpower, it would be... I think flight, man. I like. I was gonna say I would love to be able to just like type as quickly as I can think, like super typing or super writing, so I could like get more of these books out. Mm-hmm. But flying, I love. I would love to be able to. Fly. Oh, you know what? You know what? Uh, water breathing. Mm. Let me explore the oceans and rivers and lakes. I'll do okay. that. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Uh, I am currently reading uh, Batman. Dark Knight's Metal, like the entire story arc. I love comic books. I adore comic books. Marvel tends to be lighter fare and less like DC goes grimdark too much uh, for me. Um, And as much as I love grimdark, oftentimes I want silly or over the top when I'm reading comic books. Fair, fair. Sci-fi or fantasy? Um, fantasy. Okay. Um, going back to what started it all. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I I like I like science fiction settings, but only if they have weird magic stuff. Mm. Weird spacey magic, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unex- let's just go with the unexplained technology. How about that? Unexplained technology is is fine, but I also want the force. I want weird gods. I want I want psychic powers and magic. I want, I want, I want it all. 
<laughs> essentially. Cool. cool. Very cool. Well, thank you very much, John, for taking the time to speak with us here at Legends Tabletop. And I thank you. Do. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com. Thank you.